one of the reasons we have such a disconnect in all areas of work and the workplace is because there is no emphasis put on service and how we can be a service to our families, to ourselves, to the communities around us, to the world. It's all about get a job. What do you want to do when you grow up? That has nothing to do with being a whole human being living on the planet with other human beings. Welcome to episode 94 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. This is the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future, and it's brought to you by Wonder and Pattern. I'm Doug Folks, and my co-host is the CEO at Wonder, Claire Haydar. So Claire, we're coming to the end of a very interesting conversation with Marie Gervais, who is a fellow podcaster and author. Uh, we've been talking about culture and learning in the workplace. Just bring us up to speed, please, and just head us off down the track of our last encounter with Marie. Okay, so Doug, this part of the conversation is actually, it really turned out to be one of my favorite segments of the conversation where we actually asked Marie to take us back into her history, you know, tell us about her childhood, tell us about how she was raised. Absolutely fascinating story. And you can see why her career took the trajectory that it did because her past definitely influenced that. So definitely worth listening to from that perspective. But the most important part of this segment that was actually a bit of a twist in the conversation, we didn't, neither, none of the three of us in the call thought it was going to go in this direction, was where I specifically posed the question, you have this amazing book that you've written. It's super practical. It's really hands-on in terms of helping an executive navigate this reality of for-profit business while at the same time elevating, you know, the work experience for people. What is the science telling us? You know, what is the research that is out there? What are the actual really scientific implications, both from a biology, so looking at it from the human lens, but also the science from the business lens telling us? And she really got into that. And for those of you who decide to purchase her book after this, you'll also really see that all of that research is there. You know, she's really been very scientific in how she has approached this. And it definitely lit her up as well, you know, when we opened that that part of the conversation. And she said, it's a question she wishes she was asked more often, but isn't. And so I'm really excited about this segment. Yeah, it really was an enlightening hour that we spent together. So let's finish off with our last chance to chat to, to, to Marie. Marie, we're moving on to the third segment of our conversation. And usually we don't really go down this road with um, people who, you know, guests who we bring on to the, the podcast. But with you, based on our planning call, I really, really feel it's a really important part of our conversation. And that's related to your story. You have a multicultural, multi-experienced past, which has definitely influenced this work of yours very heavily. Tell us a little bit about your story. I was born into a, a very nuclear family in Canada, in Western Canada. My father was an immigrant from Germany. My father was the first generation born, Canadian born to a Russian and a Romanian mother. And as a result of that, we had no relatives growing up around us, but we were living in a place that was very embedded in generations of people's families. So our friends were people who had no families. My father's best friends were two Jamaican nurses. 
who he worked with, and also a Japanese food store owner who he helped get started with his store and who eventually learned to shrink wrap tofu and became a millionaire overnight and uh, every year brought my father <laughs> over to his mansion for a special treat as a thank you. And we had multiple languages going on around us. And so my experience was being isolated and, and never understanding how people could spend so much time with their aunts and uncles and grandparents because I didn't have any of those. And, uh, and, and being very intrigued and curious about the people around me and what their life experience was. Also, my parents were both very much interested in music. And all three of our us children, we had music lessons in multiple instruments. So my mother went out of her way to get to know musicians and bring them to our home. And she also brought home teachers that we would have and anybody that she thought would be interesting for dinner. So we were constantly surrounded by people that were not like us. And we were told to make the guests feel welcome and be conversational. (laughs) 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 And if we weren't, uh, my mother would take one of us aside and say, now, listen, what did I tell you? Now go make yourself useful and go back and speak with those guests. (laughs) So I think, I think that that was part of, that was part of it. The other part was that uh, my dad had learning disabilities and also didn't write very well. His, his English language was he was good orally, but everything else was difficult for him. And so he consequently had a lot of jobs that didn't require much education. Uh, and my mother was a teacher. So um, there were lots of disconnects there. So we, and connections. So that meant that when I started working with, you know, supervisors and frontline workers in industry, I could relate because that was my dad and his life. And when I was working with professionals, I could relate because that was my mother and her life. And we changed schools constantly because of wherever she was working, we'd have to go for before and after school care and stuff like that. So I changed schools 12 times, which meant I was always on the outside. Um, so that was my that was my experience. I, I needed to learn more social skills because I was just always feeling so discombobulated with what was going on around me. I couldn't do anything but retreat. But that did happen as an adult. And I pursued it, actually, so that I could be better and more comfortable but I was always really interested in, and curious in other people. So interviewing people has just always been a part of what I just naturally do. And then I married a man from a French-Canadian culture. I didn't speak French. And I decided I would fit into the family by learning to speak French. So I went to France. I did a degree in French. Um, I became introduced to the multicultural Francophone community around the world. That was one experience. And then I became a Baha'i, which is a, one of the, it is the most recent of the world religions. And uh, one of the principles of the Baha'i faith is independent investigation of truth, unity and diversity, and that all the religions are chapters of one book, uh, all paths leading up the same mountain. So they all have truths to offer that we need to learn. And the most recent one is the one that we're working with now because it addresses the social problems that we currently have, but all the spiritual teachings are the same. So all of that made for a very multicultural existence. I encouraged my children when they were growing up, I have four of them. To, uh, every time they'd come home, I'd go, so, you know, who did you talk to who was left out or lonely today? Who did you make friends with who's not like you? That was the question. <laughs> uh, and, and so their, their friends were all, all the same. Like their friends were all different people from everywhere, the same kind of situation as I had when I was growing up. And they all married someone from a different race, religion, culture, or all of the above. And then I did a doctorate in culture and learning in the workplace. So everything I've been doing has been about experiencing other people's lives and coming into contact with my own response to that, right? Just as a total aside, before Doug moves on to his two questions for you, is I had never, ever heard of the Baha'i faith until I actually moved to Dallas in 2016 because there's a very big Baha'i temple, a beautiful temple, 
in Dallas and I was driving down the road in an Uber one day and I noticed this and it's it's literally like in not the middle of nowhere but it's not in a area that's populated with a lot of other buildings and so it really does stand out and I actually asked the Uber driver I was like what is that it's a magnificent building but you can definitely see it you know it doesn't belong to the Islamic faith it's not one of the typical you know Christian faiths, you're all one of the Orthodox religions, you know, what is it? And he was like, oh, that's the big Baha'i. I was like, what is that? And so, you know, that was my introduction to it as well. The only Baha'i temple I'm aware of is the one in Wilmette, Illinois. But in Dallas has a very large Baha'i community, very diverse, large Baha'i community. So they might have a, a building there that, that looks um, unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I literally, you know, the, the Uber driver dropped me off and I was like, what faith is this? I've never heard of it, you know, and I sat down and I read about it. And <laughs> yeah, so, you know, when you when you and I did our planning call and all these interesting stories came up, it, it brought back those memories and as well as many others from my own childhood. <laughs> mm, oh, cool. Yeah. Maria, I'm very aware of our time. I've just got a couple of maybe shorter questions just to ask you just to finish off. Incredibly interesting and fulfilled and busy life to date. What has your life taught you that you would want to pass on as a legacy to the world? Suspend judgment. If when in doubt, wait and find out more. Unity and diversity is a universal law. An example is the human body. And regulate yourself first. Make sure you're emotionally regulated before you dive into anything else. That is valuable. Hmm. My last question, Marie, what are you researching next? I, what I'm really interested in is using my book in workplaces, like in Lunch and Learn, and then gathering data from that and seeing how people apply it. So that's, that's something I'm researching next. Another thing I'd like to do is to create a series of children's books uh, that introduce children to work in a holistic way. Sure. Oh, I love that, that idea. That would be good. Mm. Yeah. Love because people that often idea. just they just they follow what their parents did or something similar, or they move into another area that they think is going to make them money with that has no purpose, uh, or they just don't know what to do. They just wander around aimlessly for years, and if they had some kind of introduction to work in a, in, in ways that I have never yet seen in in the children in children's literature, I think that could be really useful. Yeah, I agree. That's be- Marie, please keep us updated on that project because if that comes sure. to life, we definitely need you back <laughs> on the podcast to talk about that. Interestingly enough, Mark and I, my husband and I, have recently had a conversation along a similar vein where you know, the injustices in the world are still rife. I'm not in any way downplaying them and diminishing them. And there's still a very, very large portion of the global population that are still fighting poverty and will step into very traditional work roles. But what we also have to look at from a data perspective is that this generation that Mark and I are essentially raising now, so if you look at the toddlers and the tweens of today, they are also going to be the generation that are going to have the most wealth at their disposal than any other generation prior to them at the point that they leave school. And that poses a very interesting and significant challenge in that they're the first generation where a lot of them are going to have choices in terms of pursuing work in very different ways than what we have, you know. And as you say, there 
it's not part of the curriculum. It's not it's not a skill set that's being taught to them today. And it really is challenging, you know, to to raise a child where you as a parent are still going to work to, you know, to earn a living where the generational wealth that will be available to this generation is going to be significantly different, which is going to put a lot of different choices in front of them. So that's another whole conversation that we can have. (laughs) But I would like to make one comment about that, and that is that work is not just about paid work. It's also about service. Yes, agreed. One of the reasons we have such a disconnect in all areas of work and the workplace is because there is no emphasis put on service and how we can be a service to our families, to ourselves, to the communities around us, to the world, in the way that we're raising our children. It's all about get a job. What do you want to do when you grow up? That has nothing to do with being a whole human being living on the planet with other human beings. Yeah, exactly. Which is why, which is why Mark and I have this conversation is because we like, you know, as parents, we feel a huge responsibility to teach our kids that a job is not just a paycheck. You know, like one of the things that Mark and I always say that we rant on about is it really irks both of us. It really angers both of us that the role that your typical female plays in being a mother is never quantified into financial terms. You know what I mean? And it's sort of dismissed in in the current vernacular as, no, a woman, you know, is diminished if she's at home. But there genuinely are some women that really do want to be in that position. And it's never quantified in financial terms like a job is. And yet, if you actually put a number to it, I mean, it can be as high as half a million a year, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the size of the family. Yes, that's definitely, I mean, we could be talking quite a long time about this. <laughs> <laughs> we could. That's why I say it's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, the, but the thing, I think service is the key to everything. Uh, the second thing is what, you know, what does each gender need to learn that it's, that is, it's typically depressed for that gender? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why there's so much emphasis on gender fluidity and gender identity right now is because we haven't allowed boys to be who they could be from a full perspective and girls to be who they could be from a full perspective. Uh, And so people are questioning their sexuality as a result, which may be true for a percentage of the population, but not for everybody. It's more that they just... that you know Girls typically need to be encouraged to make decisions outside of their social um, groupings and to be stronger and bolder, and boys need to be encouraged to be nurturing and um, helpful. And when you have those those things, they balance each other out. An example of a sports study that I read recently was that girls tend to do certain types of sports better than boys, and boys tend to do certain sorts of types of sports better than girls, and they never learn to do differently unless they're actively taught. But once they're taught, they balance. Mm. So, And I think my grandsons are a great example the four that are old enough where you can start to see it, they are just loving and nurturing. And they say things to each other like, thank you for getting that for me, or no problem, or, you know, I love you. And uh, he's my best friend. And I just really love him and things like that, that I, I mean, my kids never said, <laughs> my generation never said. They're doing things like saying, oh, let me help this little guy in the, in the, in, in the playground so that we can play together. Like that was just in my generation, it was just survival of the fittest. So there's that piece. And the other piece that's making that harder for parents is this huge emphasis on dystopian futures with a, a negative view of the future of humanity, as if we could never 
be expansive and wonderful, uh, that we can only be mean-spirited and small. And that is so popular in the movies that children and teens are exposed to that it is constricting their capacity to see themselves and the human race for the the true beauty that it it has and the potential that it has. So I think if parents want to actively work towards exposing children to things that are not just the current dystopian narrative, that's going to help a lot. Ladies, I am going to draw a curtain on our hour together. Um, We're done. Uh, do you want to? Do you want We're to? done. <laughs> we, we, we could carry on, obviously, but I'm very aware of, of time. Um, I'll just say my thank yous first. Marisa, uh, it's been a very, very interesting conversation from my side. And in the little research that I did, I wasn't expecting it to be to go where it's it's gone and to be as interesting and as practical as as it has been. So thank you so much for your time. You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Marie. It has been really good to have you on here. And I can't wait to specifically highlight, you know, some of the models that you've shared with us and, and really call out those practical pieces when we put this out there for people to engage with. Thank you. Thank you for all the effort you put into the podcast. Much appreciated. And that is the end of episode 94 and a highly practical look at creating a more spiritual workplace. If you found this podcast of value, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Catch us on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts or on Wonder's own website, wndyr.com. And from Claire and myself, bye for now.